I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. It's time to get outside. This is KSL Outdoors. Brought to you by Trax Power Sports Rentals. Two hours of stories and information on hunting, fishing, and high adventure. KSL Outdoors with Tim Hughes on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. And welcome back as we head into hour number two and the final one for another week of KSL Outdoors Radio. I don't know about you, but I have been loving this weather for the last uh, three or four days. Russ, after a string of temperatures above 100, we finished out, uh, and hopefully we're done here. We must be done with over a full month of 100-degree temperatures. It's nice to be in the 70s uh, during the days. We will hit 80 tomorrow uh, as we uh, speak here, tomorrow being Sunday. Uh, but uh, we've had 70s for three straight days. This has been fantastic. It has been a treat to have that moisture back in the air again. Yeah. and it for, for a lot of people, it just makes life a lot easier. It does, and there's more moisture coming. You heard me say a minute ago with uh, Navi that we're expecting snow above 10,000 feet, yeah. maybe this weekend, uh, maybe even uh, t- Maybe even tonight as you hear this on Saturday night, uh, but they're also saying by midweek next week. I didn't realize, Russ, that you had a long night last night. You were welcoming back the honor flight. Yeah, it was uh, out at the airport and with the Patriot Guard, of course, and uh, we had 72 veterans come home last night. 72? This was a full plane. Yeah. yeah, so you have 72 plus 72 guardians plus the staff and the medical crew. That was a full plane. We did a little pre-promote of this on uh, Utah's Morning News this week, and if I remember right, it was veterans from several different wars, wasn't it? Well, yeah, we had some combos, which were World War II and uh, Korea, and, of course, three-quarters of them were Vietnam vets. That's a lot of fun seeing a new group of veterans coming through, but um, we're starting to run kind of low on World War II vets, Yeah, but, uh, unfortunately, but... Time goes on. We've done so many of them through the years with with uh, honor flights, and what a great organization they are! They're so organized, and and they get so much done in a short amount of time. My hats off to them. It's just awesome to see them at work. Well, and hats honor off, flight. hats off to the Patriot Guard. You and Chris have been involved with this for years, and and uh, you know it's all volunteer, just uh, for passion and love for these yeah, people that yeah. have uh, defended our country in all places around the world. So uh, hats off to you guys as well. Yeah. I'm, gl- I'm glad they're all back safe. Thanks. All right. Yeah, uh, everybody I wa- came back. I want to uh, shift gears here. Chad Betridge is with us, Lieutenant Chad Betridge, who has been on the program mm-hmm. with us before, and we usually make a 
once or twice visit with uh, Chad to talk about some of the hunting and fishing violations that have gone on. This is a never-ending work for you guys, isn't it, Chad? It does seem to happen every year and uh, every day almost. Well, unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, the, the only ones that get any attention, uh, and I, we're guilty of this on KSL too, are, are the ones that seem very egregious uh, that, you know, are found, in, and it's usually big game, but you deal with a lot more than just big game. Yeah, we, uh, throughout the year, we have all sorts of different species that are that are illegally taken, or some people have some, you know, maybe misunderstanding what rules and laws are that we interact with people on. A lot of fish, uh, truth be told, fish are probably our most illegally taken species, just because there's more people that go fishing than than that than do other activities. So uh, a lot of fish get illegally taken. What does that look like when you're talking fishing violations? Is it uh, keeping the wrong species, keeping too many fish? What's the biggest uh, infraction? Or Yeah, <laughs> infraction. Well, the, the, probably the most seen violation is just you know going out and fishing without a license. Uh, the Division of Wildlife is, is run on license dollars. Uh, that's, that's, how, that's kind of our bread and butter. Um, so we take that fairly seriously. And if you go out there and you're, uh, you know, participating in these activities without the proper licensing, uh, we'll, we're, we'll probably chat with you about it. And, <laughs> and there could possibly be a citation written, uh, but we just want people to get the, the, the proper license and, and then get out there and enjoy the activity. Russ, I'm always uh, surprised when people are out there without a fishing license. I mean, what is it? Is it 32 bucks, 36 bucks now? I don't know. Um, I, I I'm not sure what it is either. Yeah, what what is it, Chad? What's the cost of a fishing license this year? Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's. If you get a combination license, I think it's thirty eight dollars. Yeah, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so it it's not a lot. Okay, and then and then if you it's get a bad. and then if you get a violation, what's that going to cost you? It'll be <laughs> considerably more than that. So. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. Uh, and, and then you're still going to have to buy a license, uh, so you'll still be out that money to go back and, and do something you obviously correct. enjoy around the corner. Um, we always talk about knowing before you go, but in, in reality, some of these are just honest mistakes, are they not? They are. Uh, a lot of, you know, and, and we understand that. People go out, you know, and sometimes just mistakes happen or accidents happen. Uh, and and that's where our officers, you know, we, we do a lot of investigations. We do a lot of follow-ups. Uh, and we understand people, you know, there are times that people just just flat out make a mistake or, and just didn't mean to do what they did. And that's taken into consideration. Uh, and there's, you know, even warnings or reduced uh, charges, stuff like that. Things things come from those uh, incidents of that nature. But, you know, if somebody does the opposite of that and blatantly goes out and does things, you know, violates law on purpose, uh, then we, we, we come at that in a different direction as well. Yeah. People that listen to this program uh, for any period of time, Russ, this won't be a surprise to them. And I've been very honest about the fact I I have hunted big game, deer and elk. I've uh, hunted upland game, been on uh, pheasant hunts with friends, uh, gone on duck hunts, and I'm a fisherman. But I haven't been hunting for some time. I always wonder, and Russ, you know, you can speak to this about uh, because you love maps. <laughs> but um, knowing well, knowing the boundaries for hunt areas, I would imagine, is one of the big things, right? Isn't Chad? Isn't that pretty much a no brainer now with the type of maps you can buy for your phone? It is, uh, and, and you can you can get on our website and actually kind of map yeah. out your uh, your hunt uh, with a, a hunt planner feature that we have on our website that'll show you the boundaries. 
specifically on a map that you can, uh, I, I mean, it, mistakes still do happen, but it's, it's the, the information is there. Uh, you just have to look for it a little bit to find out for sure where you're at. And so is it laziness on the part of people? Well, uh, sometimes, you know, it, it, a lot of times people uh, forget the location that they put in for or they, they, they put in for multiple tags and they didn't get their first choice, but maybe they got their third choice and, and they didn't realize that. So they went to the first choice location with a third choice tag. You know what I'm saying there? So, uh, yeah. and again, I would just suggest people, you know, if you got a deer or elk tag, break that sucker out right now and just make sure what location and what, what unit you're hunting in. And, and yeah. just, just so you know well before you go. Well, and you talk about those tags. That seems like a simple process, but let me just walk you through a scenario here. To tag a big game animal, you have to completely detach the tag from your big game permit and completely remove the three notches that indicate the date the animal was taken and the sex of the animal. It's pretty detailed at that point. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like detailed, but it only takes, you know, uh, maybe maybe 30 seconds to, to do the whole thing. Uh, it just, it's it, it's a... It's a it's a process that we need people to go through just to to maintain the legality of taking that elk. You also shared a story in the press release that Faith Jolly sent over to me that said uh, if you choose to hunt close to a boundary that an animal may jump a fence or cross a boundary line, then you need to prepare to ad, uh, advance for that possibility. You can't just cross into the private property and retrieve the deer. Correct. Uh, Private property is a is a is a priority uh, for the Division of Wildlife. We respect private property, and uh, and you know people just need to be aware that uh, as what you just said, if you're going along a boundary, and you even if you make a good shot, the animal still could potentially bound off a little bit. And if it jumps a fence or goes onto a place you don't have permission to be, you must seek out that permission from the landowner to go on that property, and they can actually say no. Yeah, it's not just uh, just because you have an injured animal that they have to give you permission. They don't they don't have to. So yeah, there needs to be some some planning going into that uh, hunting close to a boundary. We have less than a minute here, but I do want to throw this one out here too because uh, this is quite a story. Uh, you've seen instances where somebody took a shot, thought they missed, which happened on a hunt I was on. Uh, one of the uh, a friend of mine knew that he had hit or thought that he had hit. Uh, the deer, but they will sometimes run for a while. And so if it, this particular person thought they had missed, but then fired at another animal in the group, and by the time they finished shooting, there were five elk dead. That's crazy to me. That, that has happened more than once, for sure. Uh, you know, especially with elk, because elk are such large animals. And, and even if you, you hit them with a, a large caliber rifle, it's, they're not going to drop immediately. So it's just really important to make sure of your shot and then and then watch that elk. Just don't be in a hurry, I guess, is what I can encourage people to do is just take your time, make sure of your shot, and then and then give that animal a chance to, to, to go down. Yeah. What's the best way? Because it seems like uh, they would be searching in a lot of different places. Is there one go-to place you would tell people to brush up on the rules before they head out? So uh, our on our division uh, what. Division of Wildlife website, uh, wildlife.utah.gov, has all of the guidebooks uh, on there digitally. And you can download them to your phone. You can download them to your computer. You can go through every regulation you could possibly imagine. And that's that's where I would suggest people go. You can also get a hard copy of it, uh, one of the sporting goods you know, stores and stuff like that that yeah. you can 
you can take that guidebook with you. Uh, but uh, online digitally is the easiest way to scroll through and, and find the rules. Never been easier. I know that. Lieutenant Chad Bedridge, thank you. No problem. You have a good day. You too. We'll take a break and we'll do a little road trip. And Bob and Mark, uh, they had to scrap their plans this week because of some storms down in southern Utah. But we'll find out all about that next. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back to KSL Outdoors Radio. Let's see, still to come, we're going to be talking with uh, Robert Thompson, who is the new owner of Big Rock Candy Mountain. Bob uh, set us up with that. Looking forward to that conversation, Bob. But I, uh, Russ and I were just talking about it off the air and thinking, what was this guy thinking? Uh, you, you have to have be a master in many things to make this work. Uh, and I, I really hope he does. But, man, that's a lot of work, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Well, you know what they have going for them? What? They're, they're young. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Oh, that. We, we sort of remember what that was like. Anyway, Bob's going to hang on with us, and we'll introduce you to Robert Thompson and uh, tell you about all the great things there are to do at Big Rock Candy Mountain. Uh, weather's changing, obviously. Uh, over the last three days, we've uh, struggled to even get to the 80s, which is a big switch from the 100s, Russ. But that means the fall colors are coming soon. Um, nice, yeah. Yeah, my favorite time of year. Mark Wade is also back with us as we do a little road trip in here. And I apologize, guys, I could not bring up your theme music of the week. I hope that's uh, I hope that's okay. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Well, do you have blood on the saddle? <laughs> no, I'm not going to play that one either. <laughs> Mark, welcome in. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here with you this morning. We often talk about uh, scenic drives when we talk about fall colors. But today we thought we'd talk about places you could go. And uh, just hang out and enjoy some. And I, I can't think of a better idea, Bob, than to go to some of our national parks. Oh, yeah. You know, um, the colors will first come out in the higher country. And, you know, Bryce Canyon is at 8,000 feet and higher, you know. So we know that the fall colors will come out a little sooner there. And there are some nice aspens. You know, a really pretty shot in Bryce Canyon is go down to Natural Bridge. They've got some uh, aspens at the base of the natural bridge that really make a beautiful fall shot. But you'll see other colors in the park at that time. So, you know, Bryce is always a safe bet to go and see some. And then a capital reef, uh, that'll come a little bit later in the season. It's a little lower. So you're going to see probably a little bit later in October, all those beautiful uh, cottonwood trees along the main drive on Highway 24 just become a brilliant yellow and gold, you know. So those those are two really good parks to see the colors in. Mark Zion National Park is a place you know well, uh, but it probably takes a little bit longer for the colors to change there. 
It does. It's it's also lower elevation, like Bob was talking, and uh, you know, he's there earlier this week, and we caught a big rainstorm there, and it didn't uh, damage anything, but there were waterfalls and there were deluge of water going down through all the ravines, and it was just beautiful. I looked to see if I could see anything changing. There wasn't anything changing there yet. There won't be for probably another month. We were up on the backside of the Tusher Mountains last week and desperately looking for any patch of color we could find. It's pretty hard to find, but it's coming. Does uh, Ponderosa Ranch or anybody down there do fall tours that people might uh, sign up for and, you know, actually take you out and show you these places? You know, I looked around on the Internet for any company that uh, do guided tours for fall color viewing specifically. And, and the only one I'm aware of is Zion Ponderosa Ranch down there on their property. They have a, an adventure company, East Zion Adventures. You can go to eastzionadventures.com and look up the Brushy Cove Tour. They have, a, they have this cove up in their property. They have 4,000 acres on the eastern plateau of Zion National Park. And it's filled with maples and cottonwoods and every kind of color you can think of. And it will start to turn color here in the next few weeks as well. Probably two weeks from now, it'll start to go. But there's water inside there. And it's as pretty and beautiful as I've seen. And it's the only guided tour. It's a Jeep tour into what they call Brushy Cove. One of my favorite pictures that I have in my studio at home, Russ, is uh, the framed picture that you gave us on a trip when we went to Zion Ponderosa Ranch. I think Megan was with us on that trip, wasn't she? She, I, I think she was actually working there. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. But, but we took one of those tours just outside and along some of the boundaries of uh, Zion National Park from Ponderosa uh, Ponderosa yeah. Ranch. It was really nice. Up pretty high. I'm not sure what the elevation there is, but it's up pretty high. You probably know, so, Mark. Yeah, that's a great place. 6,500 feet is, is where Ponderosa yeah. sits, and the, the canyon is about 4,000 feet, so you're you're 2,500 feet above the canyon floor. All right. Uh, Bob, where else you want to head? Fish Lake? On the list here? Yeah. Do you know where the largest living organism on Earth is? <laughs> yeah. You're talking about I, back to the aspen trees again, huh? Yeah. There's an aspen forest there by the name of Pando. It is the largest living organism on Earth. You know, aspens grow off the same root, often in clusters off the same root system. And yeah. there's a very large one there at Fish Lake called Pando. And boy, I tell you, it is brilliant. Aspens are my favorite tree. It's the state tree, the official state yeah. tree for Utah. And it is my favorite tree. And boy, I tell you, Fish Lake, if you want to see aspens, you go there. That's where you'll see them. Well, it's my favorite tree if it's in the high country. But let me tell you, if it's in your front yard, uh, it is a nightmare. And it becomes a major conversation on the Greenhouse Show on a regular basis. For the same reason you just talked about, it becomes the largest organism that overtakes your yard. Um, Mark, you put San Juan County in the uh, Abajo Mountain on here, uh, mountains on here. Well, one of the reasons I, I, I thought of that, a few years ago I was in Monticello in the fall, and if you go down to Monticello and then head west up onto the Abajo Mountains, there is a road that Bob's probably very familiar with that circles around to Newspaper Rock, and we think that's one of the great rock art panels there is in the state of Utah. And as you drive up through there, you're going to hit all the scrub oak turning the reds and oranges, and then all the aspens as well. And you roll off the top of the Abajos and down into um, the Needles District, really, of, of Canyonlands National Park. And the views from there into the Needles District are fantastic with those changing colors. Oh, it's my favorite time of year. And then, of course, Bob, and we're running out of time here, but anywhere you find a ski resort, you're also going to find some great fall colors. 
Oh yeah, is there a better place to go than the ski areas in the fall, especially Alto? That's one of my favorites to go up to try get to those small lakes up there. Just you know, easy trip, day trip, go up and enjoy the fall colors. Next week, we're going to talk about some of the scenic drives uh, to get you ready for. And if you want more information, just go to roadtrippingwithbobandmark.com. Bob, thank you. Mark, thank you. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.